So good morning listeners and welcome to Come and See Inspirations and this the 12th of February is the 6th Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is John Keeley and help me to present the podcast again today, Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane. How are we doing, John? Good, Shane. Thanks for that deed for joining me. And I know you'll join me in welcoming those listeners who are housebound, lonely and struggling in some way today. And those listeners who are joining us in various parts of the world who support us in prayer. Thank you so much indeed for that. A weekly podcast, as listeners would know at this stage, includes interviews, chats and face topics, inspiration and music, and of course reflection on the Sunday Gospel. Today uh, we'll have a faith topic which Shane will share with us later on in part two, but we'll still continue on with our reflecting on the Sunday Gospel, the reading of the, the Word of God. All of our podcasts can be heard at comeandseeinspirations.buzzspread.com. On our blog, our, our historical um, material is available at sacredspace102.blogspot.com. <coughs> so again, you can just Google Come and See Inspirations, you'll find us there. Or for historical um, recordings, Sacred Space 102, you'll find us there. We're, we're also linked to Spotify, iTunes, and of course we do have a, a, a presence on Facebook at Come and See Inspirations. Please contact us if you wish by email, and that's on commonseeinspirations at gmail.com. That's commonseeinspirations at gmail.com. We welcome suggestions in terms of maybe music, uh, maybe topics, maybe faith topics, and maybe people who you think uh, would be good for us to bring to listeners' attention, those who have a good faith story or any faith story to share. But at this point of our podcast, we'll invite Shane again to share some saints for the week for the upcoming week. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, John. So, as we said at the top of the podcast, today is the sixth Sunday in Ordinary Time on the liturgical calendar. And, of course, it is the 12th of February. So, Monday the 13th is the feast day of Blessed Jordan of Saxony. Now, this guy catches my eye from time to time because he was the first successor to St. Dominic, who founded the, um, the Order of Preachers, otherwise known as the Dominicans. Jordan is of Saxon nobility, so German extraction, basically. And he studied at Paris, at the University in Paris, and he joined the Dominicans in 2020 under St. Dominic himself. And he succeeded Dominic as the Master General of the Order in 1222. He was noted for being a powerful preacher, and uh, his writings on Dominic and the early days of the Order are still considered primary sources, as in first account, first, first eyewitness accounts of what was going on. He died in 1237, actually, by drowning <clears throat> on a shipwreck off the coast of Syria while on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, which makes it slightly ironic that one of his patronages is he's against drowning. For, you know. <laughs> yeah, slightly. So I, I sometimes wonder how these things, uh, how these things get, they get, they get handled at times. Tuesday the 14th, of course, is the feast day of St. Cyril and St. Methodius, bishops and patrons of Europe. Uh, They were brothers. Cyril died in 869 and Methodius died in 885. They were from Thessalonica in Greece and they preached the gospel in Moravia using their own translation of the scriptures and the liturgy in the local language, which was the format for these translations um, basically were the forerunner to the modern Cyrillic uh, alphabet, which is predominantly used in the Russian part of the world, Mm -hmm. which they devised and invented. And they are honoured as the apostles of the Slavic peoples. Um, And actually, in 1980, John Paul II declared them co-patrons of Europe as well. And of course, that was very much something that was close to his heart because John Paul had a thing about the, you know, Europe breeding with boat lungs east and west. So it's just it's it's a it's a it's an interesting one just uh, to just to think about. Um, so he, as I said, uh, they Moravia, <coughs> excuse me, Moravia. In case you know people's you know geography might be a bit rusty. <laughs> that's in the modern that's in the modern day Czech Republic. Thanks, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> So um, then, uh, of course, as well as that, then the 14th of February, of course, is also um, Valentine's Day. <coughs> so um, Valentine, of course, he was a Roman priest. And the reason he is the patron saint of love as uh, is due to the fact that tradition holds that he was secretly marrying young couples, despite the fact that at the time it was against the law in the Roman Empire because the young fellows were supposed to go off and off to war as legionnaires Ooh. yes now it's an interesting one there's a bit of a dispute over where the poor man is resting 
um, obviously uh, we claim a part of him sitting in the Whitefriars Street in Dublin in the Carmelite Church there uh, there's more of him supposedly in Rome now whether they dismembered the poor man or what or I'm not 100% sure but he's uh, there's bits and pieces of him all over the place <clears throat> I love the way you say that. So, so then Wednesday the fifteenth, uh, I've picked out a guy called Saint Barak of Kilbarry, which is up in the Roscommon direction. He was raised by his uncle Saint Freoc. He was a spiritual student of Saint Kevin of Glendalough, and he built a church and a monastery at Kilbarry or Termonbarry, in uh, which is up around the mosque. As I said, up around the Roscommon side. Now, the interesting thing about this guy is that his crozier is sitting in the National Museum in Dublin. Uh, Okay, yep. So, um, and it was held by a family, uh, Coxes held it as the lay abbots of Kilbarry uh, for many, many years before it was given into the, um, given into the Royal Irish Academy collection, I think. Uh, So just, just one of those interesting ones that's, that's there. Then on Thursday, we have the feast day of Blessed Joseph Almano. Now, the reason I've picked this guy out is because he's the founder of the Consolata Fathers and the Consolata Missionary Sisters. Um, he is Italian, Italiano, so he's so it's Giuseppe Alamo, to give him his proper name. He was born in 1851 in Asti in Italy. Um, he was the nephew of St. John Cafasso. And he studied at the Salish, under the Salishians with Don Bosco as one of his spiritual directors. He entered the Diocesan Seminary in Turin in 1866. He was ordained in 1873. And he was appointed rector of the Consolata Shrine in 1880. Now, the Consolata Shrine, it's a particular, um, I should explain, it's a particular, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Devotion, particular um, title that's given to Our Lady. And he modeled the, remodeled the shrine and made a source for spiritual renewal throughout the, di- the diocese in Turin. Now, the Consolata Fathers, not a name that would probably be very common in Ireland. I don't, no, think, no, I don't no. think they're present in Ireland anymore. They were here up until about the 1980s, I think. Um, but I've come across them because uh, you'd meet them, the Consolata missionaries in Africa, and particularly in East okay. Africa. Hmm. And uh, so there's a Buddha, there's a male and a female branch of the Consolata Missionary Order. He died in 1926 in Turin and he was beatified in 1990 by John Paul II. Friday the 17th is the feast day of the Servite Fathers. So that's the order, um, founders even. Uh, it's a 13th century, in the 13th century, seven young merchants of Florence decided to help one another live more perfect Christian lives. And they founded the Servants of Mary, as the congregation is called, following the rule of St. Augustine, which are known as the Servites, and they're around down to the present day. On the Irish calendar, we have the feast day of St. Fintan. Is it Fintan? Yes, it is Fintan. Mm. And, <clears throat> excuse me, St. Fintan is associated with um, Leinster. Well, he was born in Leinster. He received his religious formation in Terry Glass in County Tipperary under the Abbot Column. And um, he was deeply influenced by his penitential practices and the severity of the rule. And he founded his own foundation or his own monastery in County Leash in, and he died in 603 AD. So that's St. Fenton. And then finally, on Saturday, John, we have um, Blessed Jersey Kazira, I think is how you pronounce the man's name. He is one, he was, he has two feast days on the church calendar, actually. He's the 18th of February and he's the 12th of June. On the 12th of June, he's one of the 108 martyrs of World War II. He was born in 1904 in the Vilnius region in Lithuania. And he was, oh, breakfast warning. He was burned alive <coughs> in um, Belarus in 1943. And he was beatified in 1999 by John Paul II. Interesting guy. He was raised in an Orthodox family. and He converted to Roman Catholicism at the age of 18. He joined um, an order... And a religious order in Belarus in 1924. He studied theology and philosophy in Rome and in, in, in Vilnius. He was ordained in 1935. And then he was kicked out <clears throat> of Western Belarus in 1938. And he moved to Eastern Belarus, where, unfortunately, he ran afoul of the Soviets. <clears throat> and in February 1943, then he ran afoul of the Nazis. 
the man had a bit of a he you know he he kind of um they 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 didn't like him to a certain extent but anyway they accused him of helping the partisans and with several other catholics he was locked in the basement of a church which was then set on fire killing them all so he's regarded as a martyr for the faith so that's what we have john in terms of liturgical odds and ends for this week you know shane i was just thinking that there's no one else can really tell us all about the saints like you do <laughs> in what sense either they've got little bits and pieces of them here and there and everywhere or breakfast warnings left right and center well done shane thanks a lot indeed for, for sharing those with us um just one to notice i just want to bring to listeners attention again as i did last week um, a good friend, Martina Lahan Sheehan, she's running a Lenten program, The Whispers in the Stillness. This online program will begin on the 27th of February to the 3rd of April, Mondays, 7.30pm to 9pm. The program will include meditation, scripture, music, creative writing and prayer. The program also includes an online day retreat on Holy Saturday, the 8th of April. The cost is €120. Euros. And to more information can be got by emailing info at Rua Rest. That's R-U-A-H, rest, all one word, info at ruarest.com. So at this point of the podcast now, we might go for our prayer space. This morning I said, thinking we might just go back to spiritual communion prayer for those of us who weren't able to receive communion at Mass this morning. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul, since I cannot now receive you sacramentally come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as being already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. So that will go for our first bit of music this morning. And play this one for some time. It's from Margaret Ritzer from her Music for Healing. And this one is entitled Carmelot. So come back and join us again in part two.
And welcome back to part two of our podcast here on Come and See Inspirations for the 12th of February. Now, this morning, one of the things myself and John are going to talk about uh, is one of the things that's not really covered very well in terms of things happening around the world is the persecution of Christians in different parts of the planet. Uh, There is a bit of a blockage, a bit of a blind spot when it comes to Western media in terms of understanding that the the persecution of Christians in different parts of the world. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to zone in on one particular country and discuss, or not discuss, but go through some of the things that are happening there. And that is the country of Nigeria. There are just over uh, 100 million Christians in Nigeria, which is almost half of the country's 216 million population. And one of the things I suppose that we we need to think about from an Irish or from a Western point of view is people sometimes refer to the church in Africa as being the future of Africa or the future Mm -hmm. of the church. It's not. It's the present, which was an article actually that that, uh, John Allen wrote in Crooks, the online Catholic news portal about maybe two, three weeks ago. And in an Irish context, that was carried actually in the Irish Catholic newspaper. And the issue in Nigeria is that the persecution facing Christians in Nigeria is extreme and often brutally violent. And it's coming from Islamic militants and armed bandits attacking with increasing impunity. Um, It mostly affects Christians living in the Muslim majority north, north and the middle belt, but it's also spreading. And one of the problems or one of the challenges with Nigeria, of course, is a vast country of its size with many ethnic different groups and religious uh, many et- religious uh, divisions, if you like, mm. or, or numbers of groups of religious. And one of the problems, of course, is that the divisions are also kind of from the religious divisions are also sometimes on ethnic and also brought into political lines. Yes. So when conflict happens, it's quite destabilizing at times. Um, All civilians are subject to threats and violence, but Christians are often specifically targeted because of their faith. Now, we would have, many people would have heard of Boko Harim um, in in Nigeria, which is one of those culprits responsible. And also the Islamic State West Africa uh, province, which who on their kind of espoused belief is that they want to eliminate the presence of Christians in Nigeria. And the challenging thing about it is that more Christians are killed for their faith in Nigeria than the rest of the world combined. And in particular, they're targeting young men and boys with the aim of destroying livelihoods and stifling population, the Christian population growth. Um, and, the, you know, the women in particular are frequently targeted for abduction, sexual assault, forced marriage, uh, we saw that a couple of years ago, in particular, people might remember the girls that were taken from the school by Boko Harim. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> so that's still happening. And um, the thing, and part of the challenge is that in the northern states in Nigeria, they operate under Sharia law because they're majority Muslim. So Christians can often be treated as second class citizens. Um, but uh, so it's one it's one of the things that that are challenging there, you know, um, and it's moving up the place on the world watch list in terms of the risks that are there for um, for Christians. <clears throat> so I suppose to give a couple of examples, I suppose um, before Christmas in December the 19th, there was uh, an attack, a terror attack in Nigeria. And it was basically, and there was 40 people killed uh, in northern Nigerian state of Kaduna, where several villages have been attacked in December. And... Um, suspected terrorists are from a particular tribe in northern Nigeria. There was an interdenominational memorial service held on December 22nd for the 40 people that died. And it was, I suppose it was a bit sad because it was, they they were burying 40 victims killed in the attack. Um, 33 men and boys, 7 women and girls of several Christian traditions, 22 Catholics, 16 Evangelicals and 2 Baptists. The youngest victim of the terror attack was 2 years old. The oldest was 65, and among the dead were six members of the one family, father, mother, and four children. And it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit distressing, actually, when you see the photographs. Um, literally, there is a pickup truck, and they are loading, stacking, like you would 
stacks mm, of timber, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the coffins in the back of the truck to be taken to the graveyard after the funeral service. And it's you know it's 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 frightening a bit. You know the attacks are 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 very much aimed at the basics and the, those most vulnerable in society. But it's interesting, you know, as well that the 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 church is stepping up in terms of that. Um, they're calling out the government because many Nigerians are skeptical of government leaders are working to stop the ongoing attacks, the terrorist attacks in Nigeria. Um, and uh, you know, there was one Father Bala was the man that said the the prayers at this particular funeral service, and he said a lot of citizens feel the government is not doing enough to protect them. Hence, many are losing hope in the government. Mm-hmm. The people are disappointed that the attacks have been carried out over the years, and none of the attackers have been arrested. Um, you know, and this is the it's this impunity I think that's you know causing uh, unrest and causing concern. Uh, and where exactly it's all going to to end up, and where it's going to finish. Um, I suppose one of the one of the and one of the, some of the alarming things about it is that, you know, that the 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 the, the weapons that are being utilised um, are sometimes military grade weapons. So you've got to mm. ask where the where they're yeah. getting access to things like that. But Nigeria, of course, is in part of the Sahel region. It's quite a um, vulnerable area particularly to islamic extremism uh all along like mali chad around lake chad and uh, niger all of these type parts of the world very unsettled very fragile suffering as well from massive encroachments of the desert due to climate change which in din is also feeding into social and ethnic conflict because you have conflict between pastoralists and farmers and settled yeah. communities so it's very difficult part of the world as well and then you on top of that is the religious um element of it as well but it's it's also uh there was another attack then in uh in january <clears throat> january the i'm just going to date here now a second excuse me a second uh january the 15th around January the 15th, and there was a Nigerian priest actually killed uh, in that attack. He was shot dead um, before the terrorists set fire to the rectory and where his body was left inside. Unfortunately, um, the body was burnt beyond recognition. It's Father Isaac Achi is his name, and uh, he was killed shortly after 3 a.m. on January the 15th when armed bandits invaded the parish resident of St. Peter's and Paul Catholic Church in Kafam Koro, which is a forested area in central Nigeria, or uh, the central uh, Nigerian state of Niger. And uh, the second, there was, a, there was another priest there with him, a parish parochial vicar called Father Collins Ome, and he was shot several times as he tried to escape the scene and he was, was, was hospitalised. Um they were like they came in shouting uh sh- firing fighting in the air and shouting Allah akbar um and it was it was you know it was they had huge you know risk post to the two of them the two priests when they were both taken from their rooms at gunpoint um they uh began praying together and offered one another the sacrament of confession and then um father ome said that his pastor urged him to escape uh, to run from the compound and while this was happening Achi, Father Achi was shot in the chest by the terrorists um, the problem of course is part of the challenge is that it's, it's, um, it took the police quite a period of time to, to arrive mm-hmm. um, which is part of the challenge but it's a huge country as well at the same time and resources are poor but it does raise questions about whether or not there is a degree of collusion going on um, Father Omi told fellow priests from the Diocese of Mina that it took the police hours to arrive after they were called, um, which would seem to be consistent with claims from Christian leaders in central Nigeria that police are slow to respond to reports of violence. Um, now, the sad thing about it is that the man that died, Father Ache, survived a terrorist attack at another Nigerian parish 10 years ago. He was the pastor in 2021 at St. Teresa's Church in Madala, a suburb of Abavuja's capital. And during a Christmas Day mass, 25 parishes, parishioners were killed when Boko Harim rammed a car packed, yeah. packed with explosives into the parish property. And after that, Father Achi had urged forgiveness. In his homily, he said that Christians have to learn to forgive all those who deliberately hurt them. He urged Christians to remain pray, prayerful, stressing that the power of prayer and love can overcome all situations. 
and those who perpetrate evil against the state and innocent citizens require prayers from the Christian faithful. Um, he was abducted in 2013. This man is really unfortunate. Um, so this was the third time, and third time, I suppose, was unlucky for him in that he eventually gave his life. Um, at the same t- On the same day that he was killed, which is on the 15th of January, just gone, 25 worshippers were kidnapped from Protestant service in northwestern Nigeria um, when their prayers were reportedly interrupted by a gang of men riding motorcycles. And then on the uh, January the 14th, the Diocese of Akiti announced that another priest had been abducted as he was returning to his parish from a pastoral visit. Um, so it's it's not exactly uh, a safe part of the world, I suppose. In 2018, um Two Catholic priests, Father Joseph Gore and Felix Tayola, were among 17 others who were killed by suspected Faluni herdsmen. In March 2019, another priest was kidnapped and he remains missing, Father John Bako Shakolo. In May 2021, Father Alphonsus Bello was killed in a midnight attack on the parish in Sokoto Diocese and Father Joseph Kiki was abducted. In June 2002, Father Vitus Borogo, the Kaduna Archdiocese, was killed during a terrorist raid on the farm he was visiting. And uh, in July 2002, Father John Mark Chitnum was killed by kidnappers after he was abducted. Where And during that, Father Donatus Cleophus escaped from the same abduction. Um, so it's, 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 you know, Mina Diocese, they have had a number of, of priests in, who have been killed and kidnapped over the last number of years. <clears throat> and Catholic Bishops Conference of Nigeria has, is decrying, I suppose, the level of insecurity in the country and is challenging the president, Buhari, President Buhari, to kind of, you know, support the people on the ground. The bishops lamented that our church personnel have been frequent victims in terms of kidnapping or outright murder. Um, and they, 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 the, the conference president urged the, the, the bishop, Lucius Iwujuro, the conference president urged Pre- President Bahari to make sure that our nation is effectively rid of these murderous criminals. So it's 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 a very difficult place, and I suppose Nigeria is just is just one example of of um, of persecution that's happening around the world. Other countries that you could mention in this regard would be China, <clears throat> and at the moment, of course. We were seeing the case that was there against Cardinal Zen for his support of the mm-hmm. democracy uh, protesters in Hong Kong mm-hmm. and the interference of the Communist Party in the operation and the appointment of bishops in mainland China. Um, Arabia, Saudi Arabia, wouldn't exactly be not a great place no, to be a Christian no. at the moment, particularly if you're actually Saudi Arabian. Mm-hmm. Um, Afghanistan, obviously, is another one. Uh, then in terms of Congo, so Democratic Republic of Congo, Pope Francis was there last week week, on a pastoral visit. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the last decade, I think the number is something like 4 million people have been killed in a forgotten war. And many of them are Christian. Um, So you have Congo, uh, Car is another volatile part of the world. And then as well as that, um, there's also persecution of the church in parts of South and Central America. Now, I'm not going to go into the detail of it here, but Mm. Nicaragua is one in particular that needs to be uh, monitored, I suppose. And what we have there is the president, Ortega, who is a Sandinista. So the Sandinistas came to power, I think, in the early 70s when they overthrew a previous dictatorship. And um, they were uh, uh, left-wing slash communist slash Marxist kind of an outfit. Um, When they took power, actually, there was three well-known priests who were involved with that government. And people might remember that famous picture of John Paul II arriving in Nicaragua and the priest on his knee and Pope John Paul II wagging his finger at him and telling him to get himself sorted out. Um, And they were very much involved with the uh, liberation theology movement in that part of the world as well. Um, but Ortega came back to power and has since then has been attacking the bishops because the the I suppose the the basically it was their calling him out is the easiest way to do it. He tried to silence criticism of several bishops um, by calling them to pray instead of commenting on politics. The bishops responded that it's not enough to pray if one if one doesn't work for justice. Yeah. So the current yeah. situation at the moment is actually that there is one priest. There was one bishop under house arrest. Um, so they they ordered the dissolution of 100 NGOs, the expulsion of the missionaries of charity, that would be the order of, of uh, Mother Teresa, the closure of several Catholic media outlets, including radios, 
And then they put the Bishop of Matagalapa, Ronaldo Alvarez, one of its strongest critics, under house arrest. And since August the 4th, he hasn't been under house arrest at the Chantry, along with five priests, two seminarians and three lay people. And they they have threatened to imprison him. And uh, but you'd be kind of wondering on what on what particular grounds uh, there isn't, you know. Now, he has been charged with conspiracy against the Nicaraguan state and is set to face trial in January or February. Um, but they've already, by the way, this is a government which has kicked out the papal nuncio. Um, yeah. You know, so there's no, so unfortunately, um, what you call it, um, 12 priests, two seminarians who worked with bishop, with the bishop have been charged and imprisoned, charged with conspiracy. Uh, eight Nicaraguan priests have gone into exile or say they're not allowed to return to the country, um, although the number could be as high as 53. Um, so it's 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 you know it's it's a very very difficult part of the world, and it also you know it for those of us that I suppose grew up you know in the late eighties like we would have heard the stories of this, um, uh, in terms of Oscar Romero and yeah. what was going mm. on in El Salvador, and it's like it, it hasn't gone away you know um, that that this part of the world is still very unstable in many re- respects. And the issue, the issue, I suppose, is that um, I suppose the challenge of how to respond, because I suppose the the, the problem is there's, there's been a degree of silence in terms yeah. of the bishops' conference. Mm-hmm. Like we're we're seeing echoes of what happened in El Salvador with, with Romero as well, but also because the 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 the, the nuncio has been ex- expelled from the country as well, the Vatican is being very coy about the um, what it's saying because it wants to keep open the diplomatic channels. And you'd be kind of saying, well, what's the point of keeping open the diplomatic channels when they've kicked your chief diplomat out of the country? Yeah. You know, so, and Pope Francis has been very coy in terms of what he's been saying in relation to what's going on in Nicaragua as well, which unfortunately is also the same in terms of what's been happening to Cardinal Zen. Um, we've, 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 it's, and it's amazing in this regard, actually, how history repeats itself. Because this was the same type of approach that was taken in the 1960s and the 1970s under Paul VI when they were trying to have some sort of conversations with communist Soviet Russia and it wasn't really working. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and and as at that time, the men on the ground, the women on the ground were slightly sacrificed, I think it would be fair to say, in, the, in term for the greater good. But it's just, I suppose, John, it was just those two examples, I suppose, just to give people an idea uh, kind of of some of the challenges that are out there in the world. Now, if anyone wants to kind of give some kind of assistance, I suppose you can always find out more by checking out the one of the, one of the websites, I suppose, that we would or one of the organizations that we would suggest is Aid to the Church in Need, yeah. <clears throat> ACN, would be one potentially to look at. And if you want to find out, uh, and it's an interesting one, there was an article in November 22 on The Pillar uh, by Luke Coppen. And he made, you know, he was reporting on Age of the Church and Knees report, said, which said that the oppression or persecution of Christians has intensified in 75% of the nations it tracked between 2020 and 2022. Nigeria was top of the list, um, but... Other, there were other ones, and it's a, the report is called Persecuted and Forgotten, a report on Christians oppressed for their faith. And it concluded that escalating violence, often aimed at driving Christians out, meant that the faithful suffered some of the world's most vicious campaigns of intimidation orchestrated by militant non-state actors. Of particular concern in this regard is Africa, where extremism threatens previously strong Christian communities. In Nigeria and other countries, this violence clearly passes the threshold of genocide, it said. The new the study in November was the eighth in their series, and it's just he it it just um, it also kind of picked up on Nigeria was one, the issue of what was happening in in Ethiopia in particular in Tigray, the northernmost region where there's a civil conflict going on between forces in that part of the world against the government in Addis Ababa. Um, there's the issue of extreme persecu- Christian persecution in northern Korea. And the report that ACN had examined 24 countries where Christians were at high risk. And it said that conditions had worsened for Christians in the world's two most populous countries, China and India. It noted that the Chinese authorities had increased pressures on Christians with arrests, the forced closure of churches and new draconian legislation. 
where India, of course, sees a huge problem with record numbers of attacks on Christians, particularly by Hindu extremisms, extremists, which is a, of growing concern. Um, you know, and it's in the Middle East, continuing migration deepened the crisis, threatening the survival of three of the world's oldest and most important Christian communities located in Iraq, Syria, and of course, in Palestine, the Holy Land. And in Asia, in particular, they highlighted Burma, China, Vietnam, and of course, North Korea, Afghanistan, concerns about Pakistan, India, and elsewhere. And I suppose part of the problem is the cultural misperception in the West that continues to deny that Christians remain the most widely persecuted faith group. Mm. So it was, you know, that report, it makes sobering reading, I think. And as I said, that's that's aid to the church in need. Shane, thanks a lot indeed for sharing that. The, the, the thought that kept on um, going through my mind as you, uh, as you were, well, two, two, two thoughts as you were sharing that with us. Number one, you know, you... You go through the science for the week with us every week, you know, and we're reminded of all those people who died for their faith and suffered for their faith. And you've just said the same thing now. You know, these people in Africa and various parts of the world are suffering for their faith. They're really saints. That's mm. in my book anyway. Mm-hmm. But the second thing that went through my mind is the current synod process that's going on. Mm. You know, people uh, might, be, might want to comment on their own experiences of faith and so on and so forth and what they want and what they want to help them encourage and live out their faith and so on and so forth. And there these, there's these people out in Africa and various parts of South America that you mentioned there who are not allowed and even killed for having the faith. Their, their, their experience, and uh, I'm sure their, their contribution to the Synod would be far different there may be some of us who are living in comfortable suburbia sometimes and want a little bit of more comfort and so on and so forth for a faith. It's just a summit that they could to be made. And just on that one, it's a just it's an interesting one to note that um, the Synod, the global response from the Synod, there's 114 Episcopal conferences around the world and 112 of them responded to the Synod mm-hmm. process. Now, we did as well, obviously, from an Irish point mm-hmm. of view. And we are going to look at the Synod in more detail in the month of March, yeah. just so that people know. But um, of the two, there was only two that couldn't do it. I think one of them was, was Iraq, I think. And I think maybe Angola was the other one. I'm not 100% sure. But like it was just, you know, despite this, these the bishops in these countries do do their best uh, to participate yeah. in the life of the church. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting one. It's it's They are voices that are going to challenge the Western Eurocentrism. Well, and in is. particular, I think our friends in Germany are going to get a bit of a land uh, in terms of some of the proposals that they're putting forward that their their confreres among the bishops in Africa and South America will they probably would, say nine. They, w- they wouldn't feature. They no. Wouldn't feature. no. Shane, thanks a lot indeed for that. So, John, just to finish out this part of the of the of the podcast, I we're going to play one particular piece of music which I had asked for this morning, and it is "Be Not Afraid" because I think it's very appropriate. And I think the version that I picked you might be happy, happy enough with. It's sang by Marilyn Ness. So, come back and join us again in part three, where we read and reflect on the Word of God. <laughs> Fear of no 
So, welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane. And at this point of our podcast each week, we read and reflect on the Word of God, the Sunday Gospel. Before that, we'll ask Shane to pray this prayer before reading and reflecting on the Scripture. Thanks, Shane. <clears throat> Lord, we ask you to we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Will not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this Father in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Sean. So our Gospel for today, for the sixth Sunday in ordinary time, is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, from chapter 5 of Matthew. So Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, if your virtue goes no deeper than that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. You've learned how it was said to our ancestors, you must not kill. And if anyone does kill, he must answer for it before the court. But this, But I say this to you, anyone who is angry with his brother, will answer for it before the court. You've learned how it was said you must not commit adultery. But I say this to you, if a man looks at a woman lustfully, he already has committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, you've learned how it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but must fulfil your oaths to the Lord. But I say this to you, do not swear at all. All you need to say is yes, if you mean yes, and no, if you mean no. Anything more than this, comes from the evil one. The Gospel for this Sunday, for the sixth Sunday in ordinary time. Not an easy Gospel, maybe, to do a little bit of lecture on it, Shane, but do you want to share just one or two thoughts you might have, please? Yeah, it'll be short and sweet, I think, <laughs> both, as, yeah. as, you, mm-hmm. as you said. This is not exactly an easy Gospel. So I suppose what we should say is, the first thing <clears throat> to note is that we're continuing with the, um, the Sermon on the Mount. So this is going to be what we're going to be having in the Gospel, I think pretty much up to the start of Lent each Sunday. So that's for the next two, 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 two maybe three weeks. Um, the other thing I suppose is to say that myself and John, um, we took the short version of the Gospel mm-hmm. this morning. Um, it's quite a long section if you do the full version. It's Matthew five seventeen to thirty seven, so that's twenty pericopes. Peric- uh, mm. So it's a quite a long one. Um, and the interesting thing about it is, I suppose, the line. One of the things that's in it. There's a number of things you could look at in it, but just the bit. One of the things that's not in the the excerpt that we that we read is where Jesus says, "I tell you, I have come not to abolish the law, but to complete them." Mm. And I think that's a very important. Uh, point in terms of reflecting on the gospel that's given to us this morning in the, in the short in the shortened version um and I, I suppose it's the, 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 now i have to be honest and say i am very much relying on the guidance provided to us by our good friend father frank this week because i have to say i struggled with this one uh, i have to say but one of the points that father frank made in lexio uh to us uh was the fact that what we have here before us is the three three examples of where Jesus is completing the law and taking it to a deeper level. So it's it's reminding us very much and continuing on that theme that externalities are not enough. You know, and for me, mm. it was that first line that stuck with me in terms of the short gospel we hear. If your virtue goes no deeper than that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And it was that line, it was that's the one for me that kind of sticks this week. And it's a challenge to us in terms of asking ourselves the question, have we interiorized the message of Christ? Have we taken it in so that the court that's referred to in terms of the, the three things that we're going to get onto mm-hmm. in a second is not necessarily a court of justice. It's the court of our own heart. It's the yeah. court of our conversation with God. It's, the, you know, it is that dialogue heart to heart and asking ourselves in the most deepest, innermost parts of ourselves, are we truly living up to our calling as Christians? Now, I'm going to start with the second one, John, there. It's like, you must not commit adultery. But I say this to you, if a man looks at a woman lustfully, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And the key word there, I think, is lustfully. Yeah. Because it's that kind of prolonged dis- desire yeah. that's yeah. unhealthy. Yes. And that's, I think, is what Jesus is aiming at here. It is that kind of 
that kind of a sin that gets into us, which is prolonged, unhealthy, and causes us to rupture our relationship with a person mm-hmm. or with God, mm-hmm. that is what he is trying to fo- make us focus yeah, in on yeah. in terms of this week. The gospel, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's making the point that, you know, if you, and if you apply the same logic then in terms of the anger, it's not, you know, quick anger or, you know, like a mother's anger with a child which comes from her love because of, of you know, she, she got a shock or she's frightened at something that they do. But if it's an anger that is within you that is poisoning you and you're poisoning your relationship and your views of the world, mm. that is the type of thing that we need to carve out and take out from yeah. ourselves mm. and leave behind. You know, so, um, you know, and it's it's that whole that whole idea of it. And then the oats one. Now, this is this is the one that's, you know, this is the one that's kind of complicated. I suppose the best way I, we could say is, you know, in an Irish context, if people say to you, I swear on my mother, I'm telling you the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's those types of oats, they're frivolous oats that kind of Jesus was targeting at the time, which are still relevant to the present day to a certain extent. But the idea being that we are called not to invoke yeah. God without mm. due reverence and purpose. Um, but going back Going back into the gospel, for me, I think the first paragraph is is one of the things to look at is that if your virtue goes no deeper than that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So that for me, I suppose, is is the is the is the question that's there. Like I suppose in terms of the gospel this week, you know, Jesus I suppose is coming to complete the law which was given by Moses, not to sweep it away, but to perfect it is the term that's used. Yeah, yeah. And mm. in this part of of the, of the sermon, you know, it's he's 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 taking to himself to adjust what is divine authority. I say to you this, you know, and um, you know, each of the corrections, I suppose, is 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 about kind of. Um, I suppose, expel, like going back to that idea of, of the anger, it's expelling it from our hearts and positively seeking reconciliation, whether the, whether the offence is our fault or not. Um, you know, and in, in, in terms of, um, it's just that whole idea that, you know, not relying on the externalities, that we take it into our innermost being and how we deal and live our daily lives. Yeah, thanks for that, Shane. Yeah, um, <clears throat> certainly the the Pharisees and the scribes are all about rules and regulations and how much of that went into the heart. It was, it was a different kettle of fish. I, I went to, for some help uh, today to my good friend, Father Jack McArdle, to see what he had to say about it. Uh, and what he says in his reflections today is that most people that I know, he says, are quite aware of what is right or wrong. And I don't think you can legislate morality, he says. So people know themselves. They don't need the scribes and Pharisees to say that, but know themselves. But there is an inbuilt barometer in the human spirit that instinctively informs us whether we're right or wrong. The biggest lies I tell in life are the ones I tell myself. I will never be, in, be honest with you or anyone else until I become honest with myself. Today's gospel has a lot to do with honesty and integrity. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. Only the truth will set me free. It's a wonderful thing to strive to be authentic and genuine, to be a person of my word. That, of course, must begin with myself. Because, as I've already said, the greatest lives I tell in my life are the ones I tell myself. To paraphrase a a sentence, Father Jack says, he quotes here from Shakespeare, be true to yourself, and then you won't be untrue to others. We don't just obey rules just because they're rules and I suppose there's so many rules that we've had in our lives and we've probably even going back to certain rules within the church that we were brought up with and we didn't really understand it but because there were rules there were rules and we just kept them yeah that's that's um that's um that's an interesting thing as well John because that's something actually Pope Benedict actually very much picked up on when he was elected pontiff and was kind of making the point that Christianity isn't a religion of rules and regulations. It's about a personal encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. And that, for many people, the problem is the church is seen as a a a rule book of no's rather than the positive things in life. And And in an Irish context, we have to be honest and say that is very much people's understanding sometimes of what church is unfortunately uh, yeah and that that's that's something that is going to change and will have to change and it's it's very difficult sometimes to have that conversation because people have been hurt 
Yes. Um, and there's there's a lot of um, unprocessed anger out there, actually, when you when you bring up the issue of faith and church. And people's whole understanding of faith is bound up with the institution and their experience of the institution. So it's it's quite a challenging one. It's a difficult one. Um, but it's also one that calls for us to recognize, A, what has happened, because people's experience is valid, but B, also to recognize that's no longer what it once was. And, you know, as you were just saying that, it, it just reminds me about both of us are fairly fortunate to, to, to be able to participate in group lecture divina. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the benefits that I found for myself, just going through, breaking up the scripture passage, that, just like today, and, and hearing other people's experiences. And by hearing other p- people's experiences, having the courage to share those experiences, helps me to say, oh yeah, I remember, yeah, that's got something to do with me in my life. And by that, I'm able to grow. So, just a bit of a plug for Lecture Divina. Those of you who might be listening around the Newcastle West area, County Limerick, every Monday night, quarter past eight to quarter past nine, in the Pastoral Centre in Newcastle West, Father Frank Dewey leads people locally into the practice of Lecture Divina, the Sunday Gospel. But also, I know there's loads of resources, I'm sure Shane might share with us at some stage, online, where, where people can practice Lecture Divina, getting into seeing what, what the Word of God means to us, sharing with each other and being encouraged by that. So with that, we might go for the final piece of music. Thanks indeed, Shane, for sharing that, um, that, that information for us and, and those wonderful people who are still suffering for their life and still determined to practice their faith in various parts of the world. So now we'll go for our final piece of music, and this one is from Liam Law- Father Liam Lauder, and this one is entitled, If You Listen. So next week, for myself and Shane, Enjoy the week and thanks for joining us. Bye-bye now. Bye. I'll be 